0: Hello and welcome to the third episode of 72 Weeks. My name is Daniel and I'm the Head of Outreach and Communications here at New College, which is part of the University of Oxford. And this podcast is called 72 Weeks, as that's the average length of an undergraduate degree course at Oxford. Each episode, I'll be talking to two people about how life can change and indeed has changed during that relatively short period of time. Each episode, the people interviewed will have a common thread or indeed threads that they share with the other person. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague Nigel, currently the Visitor Liaison Officer at hello. New College. Hello, Nigel. And Gabriel, current French and Philosophy undergraduate at hello, New hello, College, hello. Oxford. Hello, Gabriel. And the thing that brings them together is that both are members of the LGBTQ plus community here in Oxford. Well done,
1: Dan. You got it there. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Okay, so um, let's talk about New College first of all. Um, Nigel, we'll, we'll start with you. You've worked at New College for many years. Um, can you tell me about your history here? What, what sort of things have you done at New College? Um, my
2: work history here started in January the 3rd, 2004, where I was invited to come and work in the buttery by um, someone that I met working in a nightclub in Oxford. Um, I started in the buttery and within two to three years became the assistant catering services manager and I added the bit, butler, to the warden um, for 14 years where I was um, diagnosed with osteoporosis uh, when I was 55 um, and I had a new ankle, foot and calf fusion surgery. So I was retired um, when I was 55 and about three, six months later um, there was a call from the Human Resources offices saying "Um, we wondered if you'd consider working back here again. And I didn't really want, I was getting bored, but I didn't really want to, but I knew it was a friendly community that I wanted to really be a part of still. Um, And so I said yes, and I was offered a role in the Visitor Liaison Office working for Mrs Paula Hart.
0: And what sort of things do you do there now? Uh,
2: Well, I do deal with all sorts of things. So um, you might get some people that have booked a tour of the college, um, and they want to be shown around and given some history. Or I might have a VIP that needs to be greeted at the gate and taken to the archive and then into lunch with um, a fellow member of the college. Or I have to control groups of children from around the world in groups of up to 20 so they behave and respect the property that they're within and they preferably go away with something
0: learnt. And Gabriel, you're nearing the end of your first year at New College now, just a couple of weeks away. Um, How's it been?
1: Yeah, so... um... I guess I'm a lot newer to the new college community than Nigel. <laughs> As you said, I'm just uh, heading to the end of my first year and I had some expectations. And to be honest, being at new college has very much um, not only hit those expectations, but really like exceeded expectations. Like people think Oxford is like, you know, there's this kind of aura is like, oh, all they do is like they work hard. And what they do is they're in the library to 12. And I'm, I was like, oh, God, like I'm excited. But... Am I going to have, like, no life when I'm here? Um, but no, it's been absolutely amazing. Like, the people that I've met and the things that I've done, I never would have thought I would have done. And
0: how are you feeling about your upcoming exams?
1: Oh, God, don't don't say that. <laughs> this is kind of like a little break from my exam. So I've got um, what's called prelims exams, which, uh, which are kind of exams that first years do at the end of... Uh, at the end of their year uh, which allows them to carry on to second year so it's uh, you know kind of not too stressful but at the same time you want to do you want to do well in them uh, so I got mine I got mine in exactly a week's time actually it's definitely getting tough it's definitely a lot more hours going in than usual but um, yes yeah, nothing that I haven't experienced before. Think of the long summer that you've got coming exactly, up. Exactly yeah. Um,
0: and you mentioned there that you've enjoyed your first year in new college but what's your, what's your favourite thing about the college then?
1: I think I think it's always cliche to be like, you know, like, oh, I love the people. You know, th- that's the best thing about the college. But that's definitely something I've noticed about the new college community. Like, there's so many great people here. It's not just the students. Like, I absolutely, like, love my tutors. Um, I absolutely love just the people that, like, the members of staff that work here. I'm really fortunate um, to get to work with, like, loads of members of staff being, like, a step-up ambassador, so I work with you uh, on outreach. But also just, like, for example, the people at the buttery, for example, like, the people that serve you, the food, like, they're great, like, basically besties.
0: And would you say, Nigel, the college has changed in the time that you've worked there? And and if so,
2: how? Oh, yes. I mean, there's a famous saying I always say to myself, Um, you're very welcome in your college. Um, it hasn't changed, welcome back. However, it changes termly, it changes yearly. It's a common thread between the fellows, the warden, down to the pot wash, to the gardeners. If you're not friendly, then you don't tend to stick. And that's at any level, you know, with your pot washing, like I said, or if you're academicy, or anything, socially, if there's something about your own personal nature that makes you feel part of the community and the family of New College.
0: Yeah. I know, I definitely agree with that. Um, And let's go back then pre-New College. Um, So Nigel, can you tell us a little bit about where you're originally from and and what you did after leaving school and and your journey to New College? So uh, stop me if I ramble, Dan. Uh, um,
2: Gosh, let's do it very quickly as possible um i was born in 1963 to um, a single woman i was adopted by two lovely people uh in southeast london a little place called Eltham, uh, and i just got on with growing up which wasn't easy um, so i studied well i went to normal infant school and junior school uh, my mother my family were very serious advocates of the local methodist church my grandmother was a serious um, I would say almost academic, religious sort of person. Um, and I grew up with reading publicly, I grew up with singing in the choir two or three times a week. Um, that was your social. Um, swimming on a Monday, Scouts on a Tuesday. We were kept very busy as children and very strict. Uh, encouraged to read a lot and just be interested in things, engaged in things. Um, I passed my 11 plus with flying colours apparently and got into the A stream at the age of 11. Um, But I started looking at older men in the choir. Things I knew were changing in me. And so I started losing interest in in my academic stuff. But it was, was, because it was, for me, it sounds arrogant, but it was just so easy for me. It was just quite, you know, A this, A minus that, A that, A this, A minus that. It was just boring. So... This physical change in me was taking over and eventually it culminated into bullying at the same school. I dropped um, a grade down to the B's, B2, and uh, being bullied and I just became um, suicidal um, and not wanting to be alive because I was brought up in an environment where you're ill if you are gay. And I didn't want to be ill, I didn't want to be gay, I didn't like looking up my same-sex people, but it was happening, there was no avoiding it, um, so um, my parents decided to put me on courses of electrotherapy and psychological um, help, I suppose they think they were doing, but to correct me, or to stop me from being in context, like this at the time, of being ill, I didn't want to be ill either, um, but the only joy that I had then was singing and performing, which I was good at, I could just immerse myself into somebody else and be on stage doing something, giving something to somebody, helping somebody, Um, until my parents decided that through the Bexley Heath Social Services that I should be put into a private school in Northamptonshire, um, where again, there was only nine in my class, and we were in dormitories of boys of uh, six, four, eight and twelve, and they put me in this dormitory, 12 other boys, and I discovered that there's other boys like me. And I left to go back home to London, and so I was put into a uh, what do you call it? Youth hostel in Sidcup for three, four weeks when I found out there's nowhere I was going to live in this place. I wasn't gonna be on the street, I was earning £17 a week, and the rent was £17.50, so I had to get out of the whole situation. So I moved to central London and just auditioned every show that I could. So I sang, danced, waited on tables, a talk of the town to uh, the empty of chess, to, oh gosh, all sorts of things. Um, uh, <laughs> and just had a bit of a naughty life and realized there was clubs for people like me. Clubs that actually had little slots on doors and had to see if you looked gay enough to come in because it was still very secretive. We, I remember being in a nightclub called Scandals in Warstrow, War, Wardour Street, and there was police raids. There was skinhead raids. It was you know you were even in 1979. You you had to be very careful even in central London about being open about yourself. So that's my sort of growing up stage.
0: Well, Gabriel, how does that compare to your your upbringing? Because yeah. things have obviously changed. I would I would hope dramatically in that time.
1: I think definitely like when it comes to like external factors, it's definitely changed a lot, like, um, I never felt like I couldn't be who I was, like, I think there was a, there were, there were definitely times when it was difficult, and I thought I, like, maybe wanted to change who I was, but a a little bit, but, like, there was never a point where I was, like, I could completely... Felt too isolated because, you know, I had a strong friendship group and like even before like I came, basically even before like I knew that I was something, like my friends were saying things like, oh yeah, like Gabriel, you know, when you get a girlfriend, like, you know, with a little nudge, like if you got a boyfriend, you know, you're definitely going to tell us. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, no, 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 I'd never get a boyfriend though. What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like completely straight. Obviously they knew before I did. So <laughs> when it came to, when it came to, um, kind of telling them, it was like, uh, oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> like I was never too worried about it with, like, all my friends, like, teachers in school, like, there was, like, when it, when it got to, like, about year eight and nine, when I came out as bisexual, like, there were, there had been representations of, like, LGBT people on, like, TV and stuff like that, um, but I think for me it was very difficult, um, because I come from a background where, like, my family are Catholic, um, and I grew up going to church every Sunday. I went to like, I went to Sunday school. Um, and it was very much more of like an internal difficulty trying to be like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Like these two lives that are, that are really Not important compatible. to me yeah. are, don't seem to be compatible. And like in the end, the biggest worry was like, am I going to go to hell? Like, mm, is it, yeah. are my parents going to hate me? Like, are my parents going to like disown me? Am I going to have to like find something else? You know. Did you, did,
2: the, so how long did you feel the pressure of um, feeling you had to perhaps change your internal self? This Just this start was seeing years. images yeah. of uh, peerage around you. you
1: this know? was years right until like even after like even after I came out to my parents like this mm. was like this was, like years after that. because like um, I I didn't know how they would react um, and then in the end they reacted like. They reacted fine. Like it wasn't it wasn't the Phew. best <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like the best reaction I could have gone for. Like it was if, if in terms of like um what I thought it would have been, it was actually a lot better. But mm. I'm looking back and it could it could have been a lot better. But like now, um especially like my mum who like I absolutely adore, I absolutely love my mum. She's probably one of my biggest supporters now. So if mum when I tell you about this podcast you'll listen to this, hello. <laughs> um Hi Mum. <laughs> I would definitely say like she's supported me, like the whole way she's like loved me unconditionally and uh i think it's these types of things that have like really really helped me realizing like i don't need to change myself for like no, anyone not, no, for, like, no, not for like not for like other people not for my religion not for my parents because like in the end my mum's shown me and like all my friends have shown me uh and even just like now at university like you can you can be who you are and no one cares like <laughs> yes, only only about a year ago my sister said to me nigel uh,
2: are you happy and i said yes yes i am I'm really happy now. I'm comfortable. I really don't care anymore what people think. I don't feel I have to conform. I don't feel ill. I feel happy, and I'm so glad that this is coming uh, easier for anybody that comes under any lettered, bannered generalisation or pigeonhole. Um, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm just so relieved for you all because it, you don't realise it was easy because uh, difficult when I was younger. Mm. Like seriously difficult when you hear of other people's stories um, it's not so different for people in my own age group to have very similar stories, but I'm um, none of that pity me stuff anymore it's like well you know it's shaped me. I think it's made me more friendly it's made me want people to be more uh, more, more accepting of me as a person I've demanded that people accept me, and that has made me successful so i, I I'm glad it's easier for younger people, because I, I didn't start being happy with myself, it's about mid-30s maybe, after running a business in the Cotswolds, world, and I'm just so glad it's a lot easier for everybody or to find happiness in themselves, that's not for everybody though, because they've still got these internal pressures I think, that yeah, we put on ourselves to be accepted, and you can't tell someone that they have to feel like that, they can only find that, I think. I don't know how you feel, Gabriel, about that, you know. You have to be happy with yourself.
0: Gabriel, you mentioned that it was almost easier to come out because of things on television, um, potential role models from the LGBTQ plus community. So what sort of things did help you um, when you were growing up?
1: Yeah, and I, I, I do think it is just that representation was so important because like... I guess um, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I know I'm fortunate that mm. I never had to, like, learn the hard way about it. I didn't get overly bullied and stuff. It was all just, like, as you said, fi- like, knowing that, yeah. oh, yeah, there's this representation on TV. I think that was a big factor in me, mm. like, realising that, like, I don't need to make this any big of a deal. Like, it's just like having, like, I don't go around telling my friends, like, oh, by the way, like, yeah. I have dark hair, you know, like, guys, as I'm Asian. Like, I don't need to do that.
2: A lot of people wish for world peace. But I just wish that everyone would stop questioning and trying to categorise everything all the time. What, you know, why? It's, it's our nature to put things, oh yes, that's black, that's white, that's green, that's yellow, that's all sorts of things. But I, I just somehow wish we could retrain at a very early age to not put things into boxes. Because it's, you know, I'm, fed, I'm even, dare I say this, and this might sound like I'm promoting, but I'm fed up with the letters LGBTQI. Again, I'm put in a box. So I just wish we had one letter, and I'm going to get this in, Dan, that we had one letter, H, for human.
0: And and I suppose on that, on the weekend, was Oxford Pride. And Nigel, I know you were instrumental in setting up Pride in Oxford. And Gabriel, you attended your first ever Pride on the weekend. So how was that?
1: Pride was... An absolutely amazing experience um as as you said dan yeah this was my first like pride event this was my first uh pride march and that was mostly it's never because i didn't want to but mostly because i come from a fairly small town uh, in cambridgeshire so it was just never uh being a, coming from a small town like a there just weren't many lgbt people mm-hmm. <laughs> and b um they just they, there wasn't enough people to just have like a pride event and stuff uh, so being able to take part in this um definitely meant a lot to me like realizing you know, it's especially growing up, you would think from a small town there may be like two or three non-straight people, yeah. um, and especially when you're at that age and people weren't coming out, it was it was you, it did feel isolating. But like just bringing this whole community together and being like, wow, there's like other people in Oxfordshire and like just generally in the world. Mm. that are just like me um Except however you are exactly yeah. and the, these people are doing it so like unashamedly like and you know hearing hearing your story nigel mm. it's like it makes me so happy how far we've come yeah, as a community yeah. we're yeah. like we are here we're here we're queer we're happy you know Damn we're right. we're, <laughs> we're celebrating this like this isn't something that we're ashamed of we, we don't think it's an illness like we are just mm. who we are like you know um, yeah. I, I think there's something you know, again, being happy with yourself, finding your individuality and in wherever
2: it sits, uh, I shouldn't use bad language, but blow those that don't accept who you are because you don't want those idiots around you anyway. I'm just relieved that you can be happy. I mean, I did feel, I'm talking we're going back, oh gosh, even in the early pride days of, in London, uh, that you were, you put yourself out there and we had eggs thrown at us, abused at us. I remember the banners, you all know, the slogans You know, as you were marching um, from like Hyde Park down to Piccadilly with helicopters and the police lined the road, and there I was in pink leather shorts slamming tequilas down my throat outside the Ritz and just being able to scream out loud about my sexuality. Now I find you don't have to scream about your sexuality, it's a possibility with any human around you. You you know, why do you have to declare it? And people say, oh, you know, thanks for the older generation for the work you've done. Well, I didn't see it as work. I found it as a, almost like a necessity to have to do some of those things we've done. And I just hope, and I am getting too tired now to be on organisation committees and things and just leave it to the 30-year-olds so they know what they're doing a bit more, they've got more energy. (laughs) That sounds a bit dismissive, but I don't. They've got the energy and the drive and the current view of politics and uh, the situation around sexuality and issues.
0: Um, and if we talk about Oxford a bit more, what, what's the, the social life like um, for for a young person in Oxford at the moment?
1: The gay scene, and I'm just using gay as kind of an umbrella yeah. term just because that's just how colloquially I've just always said it. The gay scene at Oxford is actually so fun. like. There are so many gay people in Oxford. Mm. Like um, that's something like not only me and Nigel mm. have been talking about, but like there's uh, me a and safe my friends. City. It's yeah, a safe like city. it is. It feels so safe. It's so. It feels so like. if it's like such a community. What I do know, because it's, I think, because
2: it's Oxford, because of its academic diversity as well, I quite feel it's cosmopolitan everywhere.
1: Yeah, I think it's because I guess uh, at Oxford I feel like there's like kind of less of a need to even mm. like outwardly be like we are an LGBT friendly Mm. place because like Oxford is like the atmosphere at Oxford is just actually quite Mm. well it's quite welcoming quite broad we're quite a diverse community because when Um, I so my partner and I of 36 years
2: moved to Oxfordshire in 1994 so we bought a business in a village maybe similar to the size village that you grew up in Gabriel and um, I changed my name from my family name Turner to um, Ewers so that and we made a story up um, to say that I was half brother, so that the village wouldn't throw eggs in our um, door. And it took about two, three years. I was so this was ninety four. We're still hiding, yeah, where we didn't want the village knowing. Um, and I think it was a little, the people that lived in a very big house with very liberal views. Came, we all know you're gay, and um, suddenly the walls went down. And the place became very successful because we were, again, because of the chemistry of the village.
0: And you mentioned your partner, um, Keith, there. Uh, and you were one of the first same-sex couples to have their marriage blessed in New College.
2: Well, I just asked the question outrageously. So Keith and I got married, well, we thought we were getting married in t- the year 2000. And we thought that we'd have to use this bit of paper, this certificate that this priest had given us, um, would be enough to put into the government so that when we could legally marry, because we knew it was on the way, but uh, that it would be enough to be that we would get a certificate. It wasn't. So I had to be working sort of very juniorly at New College, and I'd like to be blessed at the chapel, and then go to the registry and get married. And it came to light that um that we it was the second couple in there. I thought being Oxford and maybe even New College, that we'd be like way down the line of that because it was way after the time when we legally could, I think. But it became apparent that if Keith and I didn't make a legal commitment to one another, that um, my family would have rights over me that my partner wouldn't and we'd been together for 30-odd years and it was like, no, we've got to sort this. Um, It was great fun and I'm so pleased and proud that I did it there. Because I've seen other things go on in that chapel. I'm mean like, oh, that's beautiful. You know, when you see a young baby. a couple come back after 10 years and get married. And now I know them. And it's just, it's just a... I wouldn't say I believed in God in the sense of church and like a man with a white beard on a big stone chair. But I definitely believe in the spirituality and community of a chapel. And that's what that has been to me. And why I would find it difficult to leave it, mm. given the choice. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm rambling again.
0: No, it's, it's so interesting. And I hope what we've talked about there suggests that we do live in a more tolerant society nowadays um, than, than we used to. Um, but more can be done all the time. So Gabriel, as, as a young person, what well, more can be done to support people.
1: Yeah, so I think that's, like, quite a, quite a nuanced question, I think, because, like, whoever you ask, they're all going to have very, very mm-hmm. different answers because everyone's had very, very different life experiences. Um, but I think, for me, it was very much, again, this whole big thing of representation. I agree with you there, Gabriel. If we see
2: more of it, not shoved in people's faces, but subtle imagery of things, it just becomes the norm. But... Um, <laughs> But what I'd like to see is is see is more same-sex couples with their children, however they've come into the world. Because everybody has this ounce of parenting, of love to give. You know, I think having children either makes the best of you or the worst of you. And I think there's a lot of people that are being excluded from that. So you want the imagery change just that Gabriel?
1: no i think there's definitely also very concrete things that also really need changing yeah. um i think and this is just like my views completely um and i think it very much we need to move away from the individual and social and move to wider scale changes that actually affect big masses like i think now if i you know if my generation if i feel like i don't need to say anything about my sexuality i feel like that's not yeah. a big thing and even if i did they would You know, welcome me with open open arms, or even they would just treat me the same way as they did, which is absolutely amazing. Um, But the thing is, um, there's I think there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of performative uh, performative actions made around LGBT issues and they are serious issues because you know worldwide not everyone has the you know has the privilege like us that you know we can and it's so sad that we have to call it a privilege but Mm. the privilege is just being ourselves Um, and there's massive companies that think that every June on pride month they can slap rainbows on their logos and be like Mm -hmm. yeah we support you know we we stand by all like the gay people and whatever you are like we'll support you and i think in a a very like kind of social community uh, in like kind of the western social communities yes that's the case like a lot of communities will support you but then at the same time they're doing that whilst donating millions of pounds to politicians that are that are allowing things like electrotherapy to carry on that Mm -hmm. are allowing you know that are allowing you know transgender that allowing transgender children to still feel as if they're yes sick as as if they need to have conversion and stuff. Um, so I think we're definitely holding these massive like corporations and governments accountable and not just this whole wishy washy like, oh yeah, let's support the LGBT community by putting a flag on once a month. Giving them ten percent of our revenue for something else. Yeah. Yeah yeah. exactly
0: enough. (laughs) Nigel as someone who's seen a lot of students come and go uh, during a time at new college. What One piece of advice would you give to Gabriel to ensure that he makes the most out of his relatively short period of time in in New College?
2: Well, I understand that it takes a lot of work to get to, to be able to apply here. And you've got to have what Gabriel was saying, a bit of passion, a bit of sparkle about it. But it's not your all. Um, There are other things. Gabriel, again, luckily, he hinted on it earlier about it's just, there's so much here to explore and you're only here for three years well I put that correctly three lots of 24 weeks so try things while you're a student here because it's all here somewhere in some little corner of oxford you will find something to fit in to di- to, to divert your attention whether that's uh, a six foot blonde with a moustache and a, and a torso like i don't know who or um someone that's like having ant races on a Sunday morning with full English breakfast. You know, and just find yourself while you are here as well, because it will become your identity later.
0: And with those sage words, um, I'm going to say a big thank you to Nigel and to Gabriel for um, speaking so honestly and, and openly this afternoon. Thank so, you. <laughs> Thank you very much to both of you.